0: Proverbs chapter 11. In verses 16 through 31 of chapter 11, that is the rest of this chapter, there is an impressive list of uh, character qualities. I've already seen two of them. Verse 16, the gracious woman. Verse 17, the merciful man. As usual, we have uh, quite a few verses that refer to the righteous man, verse 18, verse 19, verse 21, verse 23, 28, 30, 31. The upright man is in verse 20. The person with discretion is in verse 22. The generous person dealt with in verses 24 25 and 26, the man who seeks good, in verse 27, and only verse 29, which says, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be the servant to the wise of heart. Only that verse doesn't fall into the category of character qualities. It uses the word wisdom, of course, uh, but as far as character qualities per se. It doesn't deal with it, but in that section, that's the only verse. All of the other verses uh, share with us a particular uh, quality of one's character. And in verse 18, we have the idea uh, that I believe all of us need to learn, whether you're a student in school or whether you are a businessman or uh, no matter what you may do, it is simply that only honest achievements really satisfy it's uh moffat says it is not real what a man what a what a bad man gains it is not real what a bad man gains now when it comes to material things the wicked often believe that they have uh, gained something but Christ said, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Christ, in dealing with the rich fool, who said, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I may die. Uh, Christ said, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. The fact is that, that we have to do something, and I, I mention this time after time after time, and yet I so often... In dealing with Christian people, and obviously unbelievers as well, I so often see people um, involved in a wrong focus. Our focus is on time. Our focus is on things. Our focus is on material things, rather than on eternity. And you know, we're, we're really foolish, it, it just without even being spiritual about it. Uh, just scientifically, nothing else. It, we're, we're absolutely foolish to invest our time and energy in uh, the nothingness of now, knowing it's going to perish, knowing that this world will pass away and the lust thereof, knowing that he that does the will of God abides forever. Just scientifically, if you, if you have that little space like that compared to an eternity... How many of you would focus all of your attention upon that moment knowing that the quality of life that you enjoy through the countless ages of eternity is determined by whether you live for now here or whether you live for eternity whether you lay up treasure in heaven or lay up treasure on earth I mean it really takes it takes stupidity on our part to 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 focus our attention upon that which can't last. That's why Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who loses that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he can't lose. That's not so dumb. That takes brains. When you think think of, of men who laid down their life and were willing to give themselves up for... Uh, during this little period of time knowing full well that there was an eternal re- reward involved. The problem is that Satan has given us uh, a short-sightedness. We can't see afar off. In fact, uh, over in Second uh, Peter, Second <coughs> Peter chapter 1, talking there about about character qualities verse 5 and besides this or for this very cause giving all diligence putting forth an intensive effort add to your faith virtue they the word add there is an interesting word fellas it's uh, it's the word from which we get our word choreography may seem very strange at that point but what you have to understand is the meaning of the word is the idea of, of one supplying something uh, that uh, uh, it, the word ad that's used in the King James um, carries some of the idea but it can't convey the the whole thing. The idea was that uh, in the ancient world they had community choirs for lack of a better term we'll, we'll call them that um, and uh, Uh, the choreographer was not the person who who figured out the dance steps but rather the choreographer um, was the individual who supplied the choir with matching outfits and what they would do they find some rich person they'd let him sing in the choir if he would buy the outfits and uh, so uh, he would you know come along and he would supply for the choir uh, that uh, that those uh, robes or uh, suits or whatever were necessary, and uh, so the the word the word came to mean uh, the idea of, of paying um, in, uh, paying more than is expected uh, for something. In other words, paying a price uh, that was involved, and that was what what is carried by this idea. Add to your faith or in your faith virtue, and so on. And then there's a whole list of character qualities you supply in your faith. You, you have faith, faith in Jesus Christ, the faith, uh, you, the, the whole content of the, of the message of truth. Uh, you, you are walking by faith and not by sight, and uh, adding to that faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, self-control patience, patience godliness. Godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. Now notice for if these things be in you and abound, or superabound literally, they make you that you be you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the epinosis, or the full knowledge of Jesus Christ. But he that is he that lacketh these things is blind. It means to the, the word uh, blind there is the word uh, thuplos which means uh, to, to be in a smoke screen the idea is, is the, uh, a puff of smoke that, that uh, causes you so that you can't see reality All right, he that lacketh these things is walking in a smoke screen he's blind and cannot see afar off spiritually short sighted is the idea uh, the the uh, person that has the this particular problem? It pictures really a person who squints as he tries to see. You ever see somebody like that walking around without their glasses, and and they can't see, and and uh, that individual uh, is is unable to discern beyond a certain distance. Everything is blurred. He can't see. All right. And at the same time he has a memory loss. He's forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Now it's talking about a believer but it's saying that a believer if he doesn't concentrate his attention in building these character qualities that uh, though the text here doesn't say uh, it nevertheless is true those character qualities that, that amount to something in eternity if he doesn't spend, expend his energy in building up those things in his life, rather than merely building up treasure here on earth, building up material things, then he is short-sighted. And because he's short-sighted, uh, he is unable to discern, unable to see the things that are there before him. We need to, we need as Christians to come to a brand new awareness of the soon return of the Lord. We need to have a sense of eternity, a sense of destiny. We need to recognize that, that living for today is useless, wasted time. We're investing in something that's sure to lose. Now that doesn't mean you don't go to work today. But it means the way you do your work, the things that you do, the way you concentrate your attention will be within the scope of the will of God rather than merely living for the here and now. I believe that it's, it's vital that we come to that conviction. The, the characteristic, the third characteristic of the, the false teachers that Paul speaks of in Philippians 3 was simply this world was the limit of their horizon. There's nothing wrong with being able to see in reality what is happening as far as now is concerned. But to focus your attention there so that all of eternity is blurred rather than having that broad look so that you see time as it is in perspective with eternity. I believe that we'll fail in our Christian lives, fail to do what we ought to do for Jesus Christ if we do not get that eternal perspective. And I think, that, I think it's important in everything you do today, you just simply ask yourself the question, how will this fit into eternity? How will this fit into eternity? How will this fit in terms of, of, uh, if I should die tomorrow, how does this relate to that? I'll tell you, it gives you a whole new perspective on life. All right. now with that in mind, turn to Proverbs 11 verse 18 where it begins now with the negative rather than the positive. Begins with the negative so that the contrast can be seen from this angle. The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. Now, the character quality of the righteous man is probably the, and contrasted to the wicked man, is probably the most, the most used of all of the character qualities in the book of Proverbs. Use it again and again and again. Sometimes over in chapter ten, uh, we had six and seven verses in a row that dealt with the righteous man. You're already familiar with this character quality, but we begin today with the with the wicked, and we have seen this fellow time after time. The root is ra, and it means wrong. And again, we should recognize that when the word "raw" is used and translated wicked, we're not thinking of the most wicked person you can think of. Any person who is overtly wicked so that even the righteous or even the unrighteous man uh, in the world calls him wicked, uh, that individual made a series of wrong choices. And the the Old Testament concept of the wicked man is not dealing primarily with, with original sin, though that's dealt with as well in Scripture. But it's dealing with the idea of the actual practice of the man. And in Proverbs, it's, using, it's, it's speaking of that almost in uh, exclusive of any other idea. It's not talking about uh, original sin and the fact of the principle of sin living in the individual and his alienation from God because he was born a sinner from his mother's womb. But rather it's talking about practical righteousness and in contrast, practical wickedness. So it's speaking primarily of the individual who does something that does not meet the standard of righteousness. His life lived. When he makes a decision, he makes a wrong decision rather than the right decision. Clear back in chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Why doesn't God want us to lean to our own understanding? Well because of original sin, because we are sinners, because our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You lean unto your own understanding, you're going to make wrong decisions. You're going to have a wrong attitude. You're going to live a wrong life. And that's, what, that's all that the word raw means. And it's the accumulation of wrong attitudes the accumulation of wrong deeds that ultimately bring a man to the place where he is, as it is here, Rasha, which is an intensive stem. And the intensive, the intensively wicked man is an accumulation of his his wrongness in his life. And of course, when you make wrong decisions, it's going to lead you in wrong paths. When you're on wrong paths, then you're faced with other decisions and you continue to make wrong decisions. What God wants us to do is understand that He has given us the final word on what is right and wrong. And as we mature in Him, we'll have discernment to see that. Now the word Ra is used in parallel with uh, almost every word for sin that is used in the old testament you don't always find it in the immediate context but sooner or later as uh is dealing with adultery or some other sexual immorality uh, when it's dealing with with evil when it's dealing with idolatry sooner or later you'll see that word raw jump up it's associated with every sin that the old testament describes and that's because men make wrong decisions Again now you have the contrast which we've seen so often between Ra and tasak, which has to do with the, the righteous, the one who lives according to a standard. You find, you find uh, 80 times this contrast in the Old Testament. Forty of them are in the book of Proverbs. So you can see the emphasis of the book of Proverbs on that. This word, this intensive stem. Rasha is used more than two hundred and sixty-six times in the Old Testament, and most of the uses are found in Psalm, Proverbs, and as well the prophet Ezekiel. But often, when you see the the uh, the word Rasha, uh, there's uh, there's the implication with this intensive wickedness, this intensive wrong. There's the implication that the way that it's a way of life that does not bring satisfaction even though the wicked do their wickedness thinking that somehow they're going to gain as a result you find often uh, there is no real satisfaction uh, it, when a person does that which is wicked just look with me for a moment chapter 2 verse 22 is an example the wicked shall be cut off from the earth obviously when he does the thing is wrong that's not his goal But you see, there's no security for the individual who's wicked. Uh, Just another one uh, over in chapter 10. In verse 3, The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. Casteth away the desire, hava, the desire of the wicked, the thing that he wants most out of life. God throws it out. Why? Because he has done the thing that's wrong. So there's no fulfillment. Uh, chapter 13 and verse 9. The light of the righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. We talked uh, briefly about that before. That has to do with his prodigy. Has to do with the inheritance of his children and all of that that's involved. Uh, there is no lasting uh, uh, uh Progeny, there's no there there as a result, no lasting influence. What a man would do, recognizing death, ended his influence to a great degree. He would try to maintain that influence in the life of his children. But if he had no children, the, the house of Saul was wiped out. Uh, God arranged that because of the wickedness of King Saul, and time after time, the seed was was wiped out. Of an entire uh, dynasty, simply because of the wickedness of one individual, so that there was no there was no continuance of his family, and so the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. No more influence. Chapter twenty-four and verse twenty says the same thing: the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. And then again in chapter thirteen and verse twenty-five. It says the righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul, but the belly of the wicked shall want and make wrong decisions they're going to want, they're going to lack. Now the key to understanding the Rasha man really is uh, Second Chronicles 19.2, 2 Chronicles chapter 19. verse 2. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned to his house in peace. Jerusalem and Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to king Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the wicked and love them who hate the Lord? Now, that's an awesome thing he has put into parallel in his statement two ideas. First of all the wicked, the wrong. People who have made a series of wrong decisions. But why have they made those wrong decisions? Jehu puts his finger on it because they hate the Lord. They hate the Lord. They despise the Lord that's the wicked man the Lord says this is the way walk ye in it turn not to the right hand nor to the left the wicked man says but I like it over here he despises the Lord the man that despises the Lord the man that despises God's word the man that will not take his direction from the objective truth of scripture the man who insists on his own way such a man is a wicked man he despises the Lord he hates the Lord Therefore, there is wrath upon thee before the Lord. Them that hate the Lord. You see, that's the ultimate, the ultimate motive in the heart of the wicked man. Satan was the first wicked being. What did he say? I'm going to do as I please. I will exalt myself. I will be like the Most High. I'm big enough to make my own decisions. I'm big enough to go my own way. I don't need God. He hated the Lord. And the result result was God had to pour out his wrath upon Satan. And Satan has been ticked off ever since. And he's been doing everything he can to get men to follow their whims, to follow their fleshly desires rather than follow God. We are tempted, not by God, but we're tempted when we're drawn out of our own lust and enticed. When we do the thing that we feel like doing, when we do the thing that we want to do, we can be sure that that's the wrong thing. He that does the will of God abides forever. Malachi chapter 3 Malachi chapter 3 and verse 18. Now here's another parallel. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked. All right? Now, how can we discern between the righteous and the wicked? Well, obviously, in that day, these are people now that fear the Lord, all right? And they're going to be able to tell the difference. If you fear the Lord today, then you, uh, if you uh, think on His name, concentrate upon God, He's going to give you this kind of discernment. Even though this is a promise to Israel and the future and the faithful remnant, nevertheless, I think it's something that we can take to heart even today. And the Lord says, In that day when I make up my jewels, I'll spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. All right? And in that day, you're going to be able to discern between the righteous and the wicked. But then there's a parallel. Even between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. All right? The righteous man is the man who serves God. The wicked man is the man who doesn't. The man who chooses not to serve God, rather, he serves another master. That's the wicked man. We could only understand that. You go out today, and you're faced with an opportunity to do something. You have a choice: you can do it God's way, you can do it your way. You can do it your way, you're in trouble. You some of you have seen this little chart before. God's way, Satan's way. God's way always begins with the question, What does God want? Satan's way always begins with the question, What do I want? you can test everything by that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked don't trust what you want now remember delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of thine heart but you've got to concentrate not on getting the desires of your heart but on delighting in the Lord you leave the result with God And so you have the two questions. Eve in the garden. Satan operated on the basis of trying to get her to want something God had forbidden. And when she finally capitulated, then the fall of man was effected. She saw the tree. That it was desirable for food. Sure, it was desirable. Everything God made would have been beautiful and marvelous. And there was something something wonderful about this tree. But you see, Satan came along and magnified its wonderfulness. And got Eve to forget all of the other varieties of food in the garden. And forget it. And concentrate her attention upon one forbidden thing. Try it. You'll like it. She tried it. She liked it. But the end result was death. So what did she gain? Nothing. She lost. And think, you, you, you put yourself in that situation. You say, oh wow. Talk about a dumbbell. God says, of all of the trees in the garden, you shall eat. Except one. And Satan says, you know what? That one is the best of all. That one is the one you've you got to want that. And so you see, Satan got her to do what he had persuaded her she wanted. And Satan is one of the things that makes it so hard. Remember, the message of the gospel is deny yourself. Say no to yourself. Okay? The message of Satan is enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Enjoy yourself while you're still in the pink. The world goes by as quickly as a wink. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Popular song of my era, 200 years ago. But that's what Satan says. Satan says the here and now is where it's at. God says no. Sacrifice now so that eternity is where it's at. You constantly fight that. The interesting thing is that in God's way, there's always short-range loss. To follow God's way always costs you something. To follow Satan's way, short-range gain. That's why you need the long look. Because God's way has long-range gain. Satan's way has long-range loss. And you have to decide which is more important. may seem, as far as time is concerned, as a, as a waste of time. In 1956, five sharp young men... In the first week of January, January 6, 1956, these five young men were killed by the Aka Indians. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Jim McCullough, uh, Jim uh, McCulley and uh, the others. They found them, they, they discovered, ultimately, they were killed by five men with machetes. And Jim Elliott and the bunch had rifles. And there's absolutely no way that five men with machetes are going to be able to take on five men with rifles and win the fight. The fact is, the missionaries didn't shoot their weapons, not once. Why? Were they surprised? No. No, they weren't. They were well able to defend themselves and they could have taken those five men and they they could have even scared them off with a shot but you see they went there to reach them with the gospel and to shoot even over their heads would have set that goal back years. So they left their weapons and they allowed themselves to be killed. Why? Well, ultimately, you know, those people were reached by Nate Saint's sister and by Betty Elliott who went into that Aka tribe and translated their language and touched the the people with, with the gospel of Christ. Betty's brother, Dave Howard, flew in, was the first man to be on Aka soil since the five men were martyred. Only a few years later, after their martyrdom, he was the first man to go there and when he stood in that church that was built in that village and preached a message on the front row were four out of the five men that had killed the missionaries who were now elders in the church. The fifth man had died. Scripture says, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, It abides alone, but if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Any farmer is glad to take the grain out of the granary and plant it in the ground because he knows for every grain he's going to get an additional crop. It doesn't take a whole lot of brains to figure that out. You leave it in the granary, you've got what you have. You put it in the ground and let it die and it multiplies. And that's all God's asking you to do with your life. He's asking you to fear Him. He's asking you to love Him. He's asking you to serve Him. He's asking you to invest your life for eternity rather than time. But in time, making that investment, He's asking you to die. Why? So you can gain. And whenever whenever the, the message, whenever God deprives us of something that the heart desires, there's always a reason and a purpose See, we have not learned the lesson. And we get caught up in the spirit of the age. And with salt, loses its savor. The world today looks at the average Christian, can't see a whole lot of difference. They see you caught up in the material world just as much as anyone else. They're not interested. in the kind of gospel we portray in our lives Wickedness. Now, when you move through Proverbs, you see a tremendous antithetical contrast then. Black and white. Two ways of living. Wicked, righteous. The wicked forsake God. The righteous cling to God. The wicked are oppressive. The righteous are upright. The wicked are liars. The righteous are lovers of truth and so on there's a whole long list that you can make at least 40 things that you can put in your list that describe the wicked as opposed to the righteous but now in our little text here it says the wicked worketh a deceitful work Let's talk about that word worketh for a moment. The word is asa. It's a root that means to do or to make or to manufacture. It's um, um, related to bara, which means to create. Word, one of the words that God used in Genesis chapter 1 when it speaks of creating the heaven and the earth. The idea is that of manufacturing something, making something. It's used sometimes uh, in uh, a little different sense, like in Isaiah 27, 5, it speaks of making peace. Uh, in Proverbs 20, verse 18, uh, we let me just turn to that real quick, quickly. Every purpose is established by counsel and with good advice, make War. Right, so it talks about making peace, making war. Uh, used in that sense, Genesis fourteen two. Uh, again, the idea of making war. Uh, it's used in Judges chapter one. Judges uh, chapter one and verse twenty four uh, says, and the spy saw a man come forth from the city, and uh, he said to them, "Show us, we pray, the, the entrance of the city." And we will show the mercy, the idea of dealing in kindness, the idea of showing uh, mercy. The word is used in that way. in Genesis 32:11. Genesis 32 11. Deliver me, I pray thee um, Uh, verse 12 actually um, and thou sayest I will surely do thee good there it is to do thee good uh, that is the idea of manufacturing or making uh, just that's the idea that you have it's used it's translated with different words in other words Deuteronomy 22-21 to do folly uh, Exodus ten, twenty-five, to offer sacrifices uh, the word offer uh, Exodus 12 uh, 48 to keep the Passover, uh, Judges 11:36 to execute vengeance, and so on. There's a whole wide variety. It's one of those one of those uh, little words that is translated differently according to the noun that it's used with and uh, and fitting the particular thing. But it means basically to make or to do. It's it's used uh, in in the sense of make. Uh, sometimes in that literal sense where it's speaking of actually fashioning an object. Uh, Genesis chapter 8 uh, where Noah's building the ark. It, says, it talks about him uh, making the ark and the word make is asah. Genesis 33 verse 17 where, where Jacob uh, was building a little more permanent dwelling. It said he made booths. He actually fashioned and, and made them. It's used in the idea of, of, uh, of committing Uh, Something like uh, Hosea 6.9 where it speaks of the people of Israel committing lewdness. And uh, so it's used in that way as well. Talking about the conduct and the life of a man. Now, in this particular case, the thing he's doing, the thing he's manufacturing, the thing he's creating, the thing that he is making is a fabrication. It's a lie. Something deceptive. Something that is not true. The wicked make or, or create a deceitful. Deceitful is the word, in this case, the word shakur shakur is vanity, falsity, lies. It's used uh, over and over again in the book of Proverbs to speak of a false witness. Uh, using a, another word for witness along with it, uh, the, the word, uh, actually the word kazab is the general word for lying and uh, uh, sheker is used in a more specialized sense. Sheker is the word that whenever God wanted to speak of the people breaking a covenant, he would speak of them dealing falsely, dealing with sheker. It's used of promise, use breaking a promise. It's used of breaking a treaty. The idea is that it's an empty promise. A person makes the promise, does not keep the promise, making the promise null and void. It does you no good to make a promise and then not keep it. And when you fail to keep the promise, you have made the promise that was made an empty promise. And so you have repeatedly Uh, that idea used. It's used over and over again for falsehood or for lying. Actually, in the book of Proverbs, there are eight different words that are used for lying and for cheating. Let me just um, list them for you. There's the word shekar, the word kazab, there's the word r-a-m-a-h, which is really cheating. Uh, There is the word shagah, uh, which means to wander or go astray. It's only used once in Proverbs. There's the word uh, patha. Pathah means to delude. Again, it's only used once. Some of these are very rare compared to the other. Um, there's the word nasha, which means deceit. The word hafar, which means uh, effusive or empty there's a word "talk," which means crafty or fraud let's just for fun um, let's start with "talk" and look at a verse where it's used so you kind of pick up on these and get a little survey of the uh, of the idea of deception as taught in the book of proverbs chapter 29 verse 13 the poor and the deceitful man meet together. The Lord lighteneth both their eyes, both the the poor and the deceitful man meet together. The, the deceitful man is the crafty man, the the fraud, the fraud. The Lord has mercy, of course, on the on the poor and uh, uh, the. The idea is that the two are going to meet together, probably thinking in terms of, the, of the, uh, uh, facing the Lord ultimately. And uh, the Lord lighteneth both their eyes. He's going to bring both of them um, to the place that they'll understand particularly what they've done wrong and so on. Chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are athar they are effusive, they are empty, they're vain. Uh, Chapter 26 and verse 26, he whose hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness shall be revealed before the whole congregation. That's just pure deceit in this case. And that's the word uh, nasha. And then the word uh, Pathah, chapter 24 and verse 28, it says be not a witness against thy neighbor without cause and deceive not with thy lips again the idea of of actually delusion Uh, don't bring people don't delude people as a result of your lips and then the word shagah chapter 20 chapter 20 verse 1 wine is a mocker strong drink is raging whosoever is deceived the word means to wander, to go astray. Whoever deceived there is deceived thereby is not wise. Shagah, cause you to wander. Anybody that, ca- that allows uh, any kind of, of uh, liquor to uh, lead you astray then, and deceive you, that such an individual is not wise. Rama is used a little bit more. Let's look at a few places. Chapter 12, verse 5, the thoughts of the righteous, the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit, or cheating, actually. Chapter 12, verse 17, he speaketh truth, showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. Deceit is cheating. Verse 20, deceit is in the heart of those who imagine evil. The counsel of the peace is joy. Chapter 14, verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. folly of fools is rama, deceit. Verse 25. True witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. Rama. Chapter 26, 26. Verse 19. So is the man that deceiveth his neighbor and say, says... Am I not in sport? You don't cheat your neighbor. Okay, verse 24, He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up cheating, deceit within him, and so on. Now, th- that's the word Ramah. The uh, word uh, Kazab is used a number of times. Let me just give you one example. Um, chapter 23 and verse 3, it's the common word. Uh, be not desirous of his dainties for they are deceitful f- food They're, it's a fraud is the idea and then of course our word shekar which is used in our text it's used, uh, I'll give just a couple more, chapter 20 in verse 17 where it says bread of deceit the bread of deceit is sweet to a man but afterward his mouth shall be filled with gravel uh, chapter um, 20. Uh, chapter uh, thirty one and verse 30. thirty thirty one thirty favor is deceitful beauty is vain favor is deceitful favor favor really is is a fraud that's the idea now all of those words then are used with this various shades of of meaning and the idea of, of uh, being of of deceitfulness and lying. You can see the book of Proverbs has an awful lot to say about that awesome subject. Now, as I said a moment ago, Shekhar is especially used in reference to covenant breaking. And I I think it's important to see a few verses that, that deal with that very thing. So in Psalm 44, Psalm 44 and verse 17, it says, All this has come upon us Yet have we not forgotten thee, neither have we dealt falsely, form of the word, shaker, neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from thy way, and so on. Now there's the denial of dealing falsely with the covenant. It's the idea of covenant breaking. The idea of breaking your word, actually. Psalm 89 Psalm 89 verse 33 Nevertheless my loving kindness will not utterly take from him nor allow uh, my faithfulness to fail uh, next verse, verse 34 my covenant will I not break nor will I alter the thing that has gone out of my lips again the, the idea of uh, in this case, of the Lord not giving empty words. The Lord will not deal falsely with His covenant, will not break His covenant. Genesis 21, Genesis 21, and verse 23. Now therefore swear unto me here by God that thou will not deal Falsely with me. Here is uh, Abimelech talking to Abraham at Beersheba. And Abraham has just uh, dealt falsely with him. But he says, I want you to swear by God that you will not deal falsely with me, that you won't break our covenant. 1 Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. And verse uh, 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie. Sheker. He will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. He will keep his covenant. The idea. Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah 63. verse 8 for he said surely they are my people children that will not lie so he was their savior again the people here are being called people that are that are not sheker they will not break the covenant and so on now the idea then is that of, of uh, covenant breaking or uh, the idea of Deception, being a false witness, and so on. So Shekher is used here of works or activities that are false. It's false in the sense of being groundless. False in the sense of, of breaking the word. Uh, it, it says in Psalm 38, verse 19, uh, the psalmist is saying, Many are they that hate me without a cause, without Shekher. It's groundless. False witness doesn't have grounds on which uh, he uh, is making accusations. The person who breaks a covenant uh, does not have the ground that uh, is necessary to keep that covenant. And uh, the idea is it's not based on fact. It's not based on, on reality. Jeremiah 23, uh, verse 32, warns people against groundless dreams, false dreams, Chapter 27 of, of Jeremiah speaks of groundless prophecy uh, and so on. Many, many things. The idea is that which is groundless, that which has no basis in fact, and therefore as a result is wrong. Now, we'll see how that fits together in the context next week. But let's pray right now. Father, thank you for the things that we're learning. Help us, Lord, to be men... Who are honorable men of integrity men who deal in truth rather than dealing in lies and falsehood lord help us not to be wicked like this not to do the thing that's wrong lord so many times even this day a lie will seem much more convenient than the truth Yet, lord help us not to be deceived by it take the long look thinking in terms of how the lie affects eternity rather than being merely concerned about how it will affect time. Lord, help us not to be deceived by our own proneness to deception. Help us to be men of truth. We'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen.